0: Uh, it, feels like you've ha- it feels like you've got a lot of Brits um, ministering to you over the last couple of weeks, doesn't it? My wife Ellie preaching last week, Andrew leading worship, and then me preaching this week. That's it. That's the total number of Brits we've got in the entire church, but they seem to be doing stuff at the moment, so I hope you're following the accents okay. We're, um, we're going to start um, uh, just a two-week series, and, um, and uh, it- we're going to think about um, a difficult subject, but a really important one for us to talk about. And um, I'm going to be uh, starting off that series this week and uh, Brian Menzi is going to be preaching next week and we're going to be thinking together about mental health and wholeness. And it's one of those things that actually impacts and affects every single one of us in either directly or indirectly and yet in our kind of western culture we don't really talk about it very much. It's one of those things we tend to kind of um, just keep quiet or, um, or just kind of not mention. And um, as a church we're committed to going on the journey that God's called us to. And the, the journey that God has called each one of us to, the, the journey he's called me to and you to, is, um, is one of stepping into increasing health and wholeness, isn't it? And that includes uh, mental health. So we're going to think a little bit about it. And, and this morning, I really want to just um, do a bit of um, uh, general teaching on mental health with you. I want us to think about um, how we understand um, mental illness when it comes to the Bible, and uh, maybe but one or two pointers for how we can step into, into healing. Um, and then next week, Brian's going to look in more detail at some of the pathways to healing that the Bible gives us and that the Lord gives us. But um, I want to start at the very beginning of the Bible, and we're going to just uh, look together at Genesis, and I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. And this is, um, this is the creation of uh, humankind. It says this, So you have a picture there of the way that God created us, of God's original design, of his original plan for how we should function. And there's a few things you might notice there. God blessed them. So there's, there, there was this experience that Adam and Eve had that they were walking under a sense of manifest blessing the whole time. That must have been amazing, mustn't it? It says elsewhere um, that God came down sometimes in the cool of the evening to walk with them. There's this sense of ongoing connectedness and relationship with God. And then he talks about being fruitful and filling the earth and subduing it and ruling. And Adam and Eve have been created to be rulers. We've been created to shape the earth as we walk in relationship with God, who's blessing us, and as we're in direct connection with him all the time, to then have a calling to shape the, the earth, to rule over the earth, to rule over the animals and, the, uh, and the, every creature that lives on the ground. And then the third thing that God did was he then gave an abundance of food. Adam and Eve would never have known hunger before the fall. They would have had every, every appetite that they had was there not to cause pressure and, um, and, and difficulty, but was each appetite that God gave was given to be fulfilled. And so they had an experience of having appetites being fulfilled the whole time. That's the way that God designed us and created us to be. And then, of course, we had the fall. And I'm just going to read to you from Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. It says this. And this is after um, Adam and Eve had taken the fruit and, and eaten of it, and, um, and they'd fallen um, from uh, that relationship with God. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God didn't want us to be stuck in some sort of eternal state of fallenness and brokenness. And of course, we didn't know at this time, but we now know through scripture that that was because God had a different plan for our redemption. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which it had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So there's this reality For every single one of us, even though we didn't experience those events directly, we carry the effects of those events, don't we? Every single person here carries with them the loss of Eden. You carry the loss of Eden with you. Your life is not functioning the way that God originally chose and designed for the life of human beings to function. You were designed to function with unconditional approval all the time. God bless them. To walk around with a sense of God's blessing and God's love over you. That just to be your kind of absolute visceral experience all the time. You were, you were created to be someone who functions with confident authority authority over your own desires, authority over your own body, but also authority over the whole world. You were created to rule. And so, um, and so there's this desire for us to be able to be in control. There's this desire for us to be able to shape the world around us, to be able to shape our our own environment. Um, You were designed to be somebody who walked with confident authority. And every one of us was designed to have our appetites satisfied. And so that experience of having an appetite, and then having that appetite um, satisfied was supposed to be something that we just carried all the time and of course as we got cast out of eden and as we've come into the experience of the fall most of us will experience appetites in fact all of us experience appetites all the time that are unfulfilled instead of being a blessing they become a source of stress and difficulty of course we all try and fulfill those in different ways in ways that are not godly so every single person has an experience of loss that we carry from when we were a baby all the way through our life until we finally, one day, will get to heaven and the old order of things will pass away and we will no longer experience those, that brokenness. But that's the reality. And I believe that that is at the heart, not just of sin, it's at the heart of sin, isn't it? Sin is where we try to meet those needs ourselves instead of going back to our Heavenly Father to meet those needs. It's interesting, I don't know whether you noticed that when Jesus was in the desert and was being tempted, he actually was tempted in those three great areas. Um, some of the early church fathers um, said that Jesus wasn't just experiencing, in Luke 4 in the desert, wasn't just experiencing his own temptations, he was entering into the main temptations of the whole of humankind. And if you, if you remember, Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread, appetites. He was, he was tempted to worship Satan and in return, all of the kingdoms of the world would be given to him, authority. And he was tempted to go and climb up to the very highest point of the temple and to jump off it into the marketplace, which is right in front of the temple, uh, so that the angels would, um, would let him float down to, gra- to the ground. I mean, that, if that's not going to give you approval of the people, then what is? So Jesus was tempted. and And in all of those three areas, Jesus had the right answer, which he said not the desires of my flesh, but the desires of my father. I'm going to do it my father's way, not the way of the flesh. But every single one of us knows he's the only person who's consistently made that decision. Every one of us here have made the decision multiple times, haven't we, to try to satisfy those desires our own way. It's the condition of sin. And I believe that that doesn't just create sin, it also causes a level of anxiety and stress and brokenness in us that leads to mental illness as well. And the the effect of this this loss of the experience of Eden is to rob us all of a sense of well-being. In addition to this, there's lots of other indirect effects of the fall as well. So the fall affects us all in the way I've just described, but also there's compounded effects over generations that are indirect. It's not like necessarily Satan is directly doing something to you, but the effect of what he has done over multiple generations, over hundreds and thousands of years, has effects on all sorts of things to do with us. And and, and psychiatrists and folks who are dealing with mental illness often identify four factors that kind of lead to mental illness. The first is environmental conditions. And, um, And that's often to do with environmental conditions when we're conceived, when we're in the womb, or when we're babies, when we're in the formative years, in the early years. If there's brokenness surrounding us, if there's psychological conditions that are very tough, that can lead, leave us with a lasting legacy of mental illness. Or Equally, there can be physical um, conditions that can affect us. Um, for example, if while you were in the womb, your mother was um, addicted to a substance, to a drug or to alcohol, that probably is going to affect you all of your life long. It has, has physiological effects. It affects our bodies. So there's environmental conditions that affect us. The other thing can be conditions where we're under pronounced stress over long periods of time. Those have big effects on us, don't they? And so we can begin to become uh, to lose our mental health and to develop some symptoms of mental illness. Other ones would include inherited genetic conditions. So if you think about um, your own family, just have a think now about your family, your mother's side of the family, your father's side of the family. I don't know how many generations you're aware of, but usually in most families, there are patterns of dysfunction that have repeated themselves over multiple generations. So you might struggle with some things in your life, and then you think about it, and you think, gosh, I realize my father or my mother has struggled with the same things, and when I think back, so did my grandparents. And, and you get these repeated things, and um, they may be uh, behavior patterns in a family, Or there may actually also be genetic tendencies towards certain illnesses, certain diseases. My uh, my grandmother, on my mother's side, committed suicide, and she suffered from um, she was she had bipolar disorder. Uh, In those days, they called it manic depression, and uh, she used to have she used to go very very hyper. And um, my mother says she remembers at those times she was like her mother was like super fun and doing crazy things but kind of in a fun way. But then she also got very, very depressed. And at one of those times of depression, she killed herself. And, um, and when I look at the history in my family, there is a history of depression, particularly, that's, that runs through multiple members of the family. What is it in your family? What would be some of the genetic uh, problems that you may face? And sometimes mental illness can purely be the effect of, um, of chemical things in our own bodies. So malfunctioning, brain chemistry can cause mental illness. It may not be that it's particular things that have happened to you. It may not be, um, you know, uh, choices that you've made or anything that's that's in any way kind of your fault. It's just that there are some problems with your brain chemistry that cause certain dysfunctions. And uh, sometimes those can be treated medically, but treating them medically is often difficult. There's different drugs that affect different conditions often work against each other. And so one of the great skills of the physicians is to try and get a balance of different drugs often for people. And so that might be your experience. And lastly, um, there are experiences that cause long-term damage. So there'd probably be two broad categories. One would be abuse, abusive situations. Maybe when you were young, you experienced physical abuse, um, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. Those things leave a lasting legacy of problems that we have to deal with. Or maybe the other category would be if you've been in particularly traumatic experiences and you experience PTSD-type symptoms. Maybe we have amongst us uh, some veterans who've been in, uh, been in situations in, on the battlefield that have left them with lasting situations. But it doesn't necessarily have to be war. PTSD can affect you if you've had... Um, traumatic experiences of all, all different kinds. And and those are often where you think you're doing okay and then certain things happen that trigger responses that are, can be overwhelming. This is the reality of all of us, isn't it? This is, this is either going to be something, some of the things I've described will either be affecting you directly or will affect some family or some friends or some people that you know, some colleagues. All of us are affected by it. It's part of the reality of the fall. And, um, you know, none of us function mentally in the way that God originally intended us and designed us to function. And there are all sorts of symptoms that manifest themselves when we're talking about mental um, dysfunction and illness. And I'm just going to put some of them up. I'm not going to read them to you. Um, But just have a look at those symptoms now. And just have a think about whether any of those are things that you've experienced or that those close to you have experienced? What would be the ones, just have a read read of those, what would be the ones that kind of stand out to you, think, yeah, I'd recognise that I'm, some of those things, maybe at different levels, some of those things have gone on for me, or there's somebody I know who's really struggling with some of those. What are the ones that you're thinking of? For me, um, it was definitely depression has been part of it, so um, for me growing up, particularly as a late teen, into my early 20s, I um, went through a season where I really, um, and I just want to be vulnerable with you here, because I think it's really important that we talk about these things, and one of the things we want to do as we talk about mental illness is get this stuff out there. Um, For me, one of the things was I really experienced a level of, um, I think what I would call it was kind of like a self-hatred. I really didn't like myself. I remember saying to my mother, um, you know what do you do if you hate yourself because you can't get away from yourself and, um, and that began to manifest as I was probably in my late teens in, and I wasn't walking with the Lord at that point um, in uh, a little bit of self-harm um, it wasn't, I wasn't um, ever suicidal but I found um, that, that when I cut myself that had a cathartic effect it expressed how I felt about myself or I would punch walls or things like that um, to express anger uh, not when other people around, just when I was on my own. And, um, and I also had these deep, dark depressions that would close in. And I remember very clearly when they would come on me, I, it would almost be like you could feel like there was darkness kind of closing in on you. And when those were at their worst, I really could barely function. Um, I remember in my first year at college, it happened one time. And um, uh, I was, you know, by that time I was walking with the Lord, I was... Um, you know, generally pretty well adjusted, I was a good student, I was, um, I led my uh, hall group in the Christian kind of organisation in the, in the, in the um, uh, lodgings that we were in, and, um, but then I, this, this happened to me one time, and I remember I just told people that I was sick, didn't tell them what was going on, and I just didn't come out of my room for about three or four days, and the reason was that I was just, had a level of depression that meant I couldn't function, I couldn't even talk to anybody, the other thing that that's um, caused for me over the years is there's been times where I've had panic attacks as well. And generally, panic attacks happen for me when I'm in a very crowded environment or when I'm having to um, engage with lots of people. Kind of ironic, what I do for a job, isn't it? I remember I had times where I was um, in the UK, even as, um, as a, once I was a pastor, uh, kind of in my late 20s into my early 30s, where I was speaking at conferences... And um, the thing about the conferences, it's not just the speaking, it's that then afterwards there's all these people that want to find you and talk to you. I remember having the, all of the kind of um, symptoms of panic attacks a number of times, you know, beginning to sweat, heart beating very fast, just needing to get out of there. So that's, that's been some of the background for me. My experience has been, over the years as I've walked with God, a gradual experience of healing. So I sometimes still get down, but I don't get those dark depressions at all anymore. In fact, I remember one day probably in my kind of late 20s, where that super darkness began to kind of close in on me. And I actually had this kind of moment of revelation, which I think came from God, where I realized I had the authority to say no to it. I just remember that. It's a really key moment in my life where I was able to say, no, I'm not going to go down this route, and it kind of backed off again. So I still sometimes get down, but I don't have those deep depressions like I used to. I can't remember the last time I had a panic attack in the last few years, and so there's this gradual journey of healing. It's not like God's an ATM God that you can just like type in the right code and suddenly you're well. But there is a process as you walk with God of gradually getting better. What would it be for you? What, what are the issues for you? And you know, many of these symptoms that we're looking at here, they operate on a continuum. I have a friend in the UK who's a psychiatrist and we spent some time... We spent a day together one time where he talked through with me when I was involved in the healing ministry, praying for healing for people. He talked through with me mental illness. And um, one of the things he said was, he said, you've got to understand, Paul, that everybody, all these different conditions tend to be on a continuum. And so you can experience them mildly or severely. And some of the things that we think are real mental illness are actually just the same things that everybody experiences, but way up on the more extreme end of the continuum. So, for example... Um, Not everybody has voices in their head. One of the symptoms of kind of a schizophrenic symptom that some people have is they actually have voices telling them stuff, telling them to do stuff. They're hearing them in their own head. That is a form of mental illness. Not everybody has that, but probably most of us have dialogues going on in our minds that are not helpful. It might not manifest itself as a full voice, but we probably have conversations with ourselves that if we're honest are destructive and um, not very helpful. And so there's continuums for all of these things. Another example would be that, um, this is an example that this psychiatrist friend gave to me, is that most of us are very different in different situations. Depending on whether we're in a formal or an informal situation, whether we're with people we can relax with, or whether we're with people that we feel we need to impress. um, We're quite different in different situations. That would be one end of the continuum. The other end of the continuum, people who've had extreme... um, uh, abuse or trauma sometimes could get a, um, a condition called um, uh, dissociative identity disorder which used to be called multiple personality disorder, it's now called dissociative identity disorder, that would be where somebody actually has more than one personality living in the same body they actually have different personalities with different names and, and so anybody kind of uh, in, engaging with someone like that would think, gosh This is a really severe level of mental illness, but actually, it's just on the same continuum. It's just way further up. And so I think that's really important for us to understand that, isn't it? Because if we understand that, then we recognize that actually there's some degree of mental dysfunction pretty much for every single one of us. And those of us who are struggling with it more, we need to understand that. We need to empathize with it. And we need to help them with that. I think it's really important if we're going to talk about mental illness as Christians, as biblical Christians that we just think very briefly about the whole issue of demons as well. So Jesus cast out demons all the time. Uh, we believe in a, in a spiritual reality where there are spiritual beings that we can't see as well as physical beings that we can see like us. And, um, and part of that is that God created angels and demons. And, and as far as we know, God created angels partly as kind of servants and stewards of, of God who, who helped to connect the things of heaven with the things of earth. The writer of the Hebrews talks about servants, the angels being servants who, who who come to help the elect, and um, you see angels standing with Jesus and strengthening him and comforting him um, a couple of times. Once when he's in the desert, and once when he's at Gethsemane. So the angels have a role where they're designed somehow to be able to kind of connect with us at an emotional and at a spiritual level and help us. But then you also have angels that have fallen, and the Bible calls them demons, and they seem to be able to also have the power to affect us negatively, spiritually, and emotionally. And so you have that going on. And, um, you know, I think there's sometimes, there's some translations of the Greek in the New Testament that have been unhelpful. The word used for when there's a demon affecting somebody in the New Testament in the Greek is daimonizomai. Um, and that word, literally translated, might be demonised. But unfortunately, the authorised version, the King James Version, translated it demon-possessed. And, and then all the kind of, pretty much every horror movie's picked up that from then on. And we have this kind of picture that somehow demons can come and take, take us over. And um, whether that can happen with people who don't know the Lord and who've been very, you know, um, involved in Satanism and things like that, that I don't know. But I've done lots of healing ministry over many years, And I've often experienced Christians who've been impacted and affected by demons, but they're not possessed by them. To me, me, it's more like a picture of, you know, when a physical wound gets infected, you're not going to get that wound healed unless you get rid of the infection. You have to treat the infection first, and then once the wound is no longer infected, then you can start the process of healing properly. In my experience... The way that demons afflict people... Demons are not like bacteria because they are uh, beings that can think and function. But the way that they affect us is almost like an emotional or a spiritual infection. And so usually, in my experience, having done ministry uh, for many years with people, if there are demons involved, there's usually some sort of brokenness at a root level and then demons kind of seem to latch onto it. Um, One of the, uh, the... The founder of the vineyard movement, a guy called John Wimber... Um, he, he, the way he said it was, he said, um, demons are a little bit like uh, rats and sharks. You know, um, you can chase rats off, but if you have a whole pile of trash in your backyard, they'll probably keep coming back. It's probably a good idea to get rid of the trash. And, um, and, and if they're like sharks, you don't want to be thrashing around in the water with open wound bleeding. They'll be attracted to the, to the, to the bleeding. Instead, you want to close the wound up and then, and then you're not going to be in danger. And I think that there can be an element of that. I think one of the real mistakes, though, that people make when thinking about demons is to think that demons are the same thing as mental illness. They're not the same thing as mental illness. They sometimes can be attracted to situations of brokenness, absolutely. But it's really important for us as a church that when we're helping people to think through mental illness that we don't just make an assumption that that means there's some demon involved. Um, So demons are mentioned regularly in the Gospels. The Bible does associate them with mental illness sometimes. Jesus made people well by driving out demons. I've had that experience with people in ministry. It can, and I know other people on the prayer team have. Sometimes we do need to do that. We have the authority to do that as Christians, so we don't have to be worried about that. But it's not the same thing as mental illness. And we just need to make sure that um, if we have brokenness going on, that we've dealt with any kind of spiritual infection so that then the wounds can get healed up. So that's part of the, um, that's part of the kind of picture. You know, um, we're going to think next week a little bit more about, um, about how we get healing from mental illness and how we can uh, begin to um, step into a place of peace and increasing wholeness. But today, I think I just want us to think about how do we remove the stigma of mental illness? It's really important that every one of us, as we experience some of these things I've thought about today, are able to talk about it. It's part of everybody's experience. It's part of the experience of the fall. It's part of brokenness. Our bodies don't function the way that they should, which we know more and more as we get older and older. But also, mentally, we don't function the way that we should, and it's important that we're able to talk about it. As with physical healing, it's important that we get medical care when we need it, as well as prayer, we do the two things together. We deal with the things that on the, on a, in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm because we are beings that are both physical and spiritual. And so I wouldn't suggest if you have significant mental illness problems that you try to deal with them without going to see a doctor. But equally, I wouldn't suggest that you try to deal with them without talking to other Christian brothers and sisters and receiving prayer. The two things go together, don't they? And Jesus called us to be a family and healing in these areas, needs community. One of the things the enemy will seek to do with you is to isolate you. You know, um, Peter says that the enemy is, is, is prowling like a roaring lion seeking to destroy us. Well, if you think about what a lion does, if a lion's after a wildebeest, um, you know, on the Serengeti, what does it do? It doesn't go after one in the middle of the herd. It goes after the stragglers on the outside that have been isolated. The enemy, if he's trying to take you out, will try to isolate you it's really important that we talk about our issues, that we talk about our brokenness, that we're able to be real, and that we connect with other people and get people around us. That's a place of safety and a place of healing. Ellie and I um, had a, somebody who joined our missional community back when we were in the UK. And she was someone who had who, had extreme abuse when she was a child. She'd had um, abuse from her family. Um, that was extreme physical abuse, sexual abuse. She was very, very broken. She had lots of mental illness. She had a level of profound depression that meant that she could barely function. And yet, despite all of those things, still Jesus found her, and she began to come to church. She began to come to our missional community, and she began to um, learn that Jesus loved her. It's the first time I think she'd ever learned that anybody loved her. And um, and as we got to know her, Ellie and I realised that she was never going to get healed living alone in her tenement building um, without being in community with anybody. And we knew that the only way that we would be able to help her was if she came to live with us for a while. So she came to live with us. And, um, you know, for the first few weeks, she wouldn't even go to bed at night. She'd just sit in a chair in our family room, and she'd just sit there. And we'd go to work in the morning, and we'd come back in the evening, and she'd still be sitting in the same chair. That's how depressed she was. And, um, and she was also a self-harmer. And one time, Ellie came back from work, and she'd locked herself in our bathroom with all of our kitchen knives. And Ellie's knocking on the door and saying, "Excuse me, do you think I could have some knives back? I want to cook the dinner." You know. And um, it was really tough. But we spent time with her, and we just allowed her to be in that community, healthy family environment. And then we gradually invited members of our missional community to come and spend time with us, and come and have dinner with us, so that she got to know them. And then as she got to know them, we asked them to invite her to go for dinner with them. And she gradually got to know people and went to their homes. And she began to grow in confidence. And it was amazing watching the depression beginning to back off a bit. One day we got back from work and she was really excited. And we said, well, what, you know, it's great to see you looking so excited. What happened? She said, well, you'd forgotten to put out the trash. And they came to collect the trash. And I actually managed to get out of my chair and put your trash out so that your trash didn't get... And that was like a huge victory for her, you know? And, you know, after a few months, she moved back into her apartment. And, um, but now members of our missional community were, were, were visiting her in her home at least. Between all of us, there were about 30 of us in that missional community. Between all of us, we managed to visit her probably about five times a week. And, you know, she grew in her, in her health and in her wholeness, in her, in her relationship with God. She came to faith, she got baptised, and there was a path of healing for her. She's going to carry brokenness until she sees Jesus face to face. But if we're going to receive healing, two things that are really important. Let's talk about it. Let's be, let's be real. Let's be authentic with each other. Let's, let's share these things. And secondly, let's get around each other and let's actively go after each other's healing. Who are you able to talk about the, the broken things in your life with? Is there... There shouldn't be anything in your life as a Christian that you can't talk to at least one other person about. What are the things that you need to talk to people about? Are there things at the end today as we finish, are there things that you need to go to the prayer team confidentially and say, I haven't talked to anyone about this, but I'd love you to pray for this? Are we prepared to talk about it and be honest and be vulnerable? And are we prepared to receive prayer and ask God to come and heal us so that we can start walking in wholeness? Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you came to set the captives free. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you want us to be well. And we just want to confess our brokenness to you today. Pray that you'd give us boldness and courage to confess that to each other, to talk about where mental illness and brokenness is functioning in our lives. Pray that as a church, you'd help us to move past that being an issue of stigma and we pray Lord for healing pray that you'd come and bring healing just as we stay in a in a just in an attitude of prayer I'm just going to read Isaiah 61 first four verses over us and I'd like you to just pray that back to the Lord and listen to it through the lens of mental health and mental um, healing the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me this is what Jesus said because the Lord has appointed me anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Which one of these are you? Are these things that you need? To to proclaim release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And just as we stay before the Lord, I'm just going to speak this over you now. Um, It's a prophecy in the Bible, I'm going to speak it over you prophetically. You will be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. You will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring healing and we receive your healing today.